Now on the tee, it's Maddie and the Caddy. Here's Matt Barry and Michael Collins. So much to get to on episode two of Maddie and the Caddy, the Jack Nicholas round. If we're calling it the Jack Nicholas round, of course, the greatest of all time, Jack Nicholas. We caught up with him earlier in the week at Shinnecock prior to all of these stuff. <laughs> At the U.S. Open. You think Jack would have something fun to say oh, about man. Mickelson stuff? And he was great as it was. So right. we'll get to Jack Nicholas. We'll get to Brooks Kepka winning back-to-back U.S. Opens. I want to get into golf gods. I want to get into idiots in the gallery. <laughs> I want to get into all of this. At least no blimp crash this year. Yeah, that was a good thing like it did at Aaron Hills. Yeah. Uh, but I do want to start with Phil Mickelson. Yeah. And what was the overwhelming... Storyline, but let me ask you something. Yeah, did we start with Phil, or do we start with why Phil got to the point that he got to, and that is the USGA messed up again. That was another bullet point. Of my right picture. after Mike Davis promised, look, we promise it is never going to happen again. We're going to make sure of it. I guarantee. What did he do? I guarantee. Well, we'll get to. There's plenty to talk on the USGA because it was again. It was the USGA. But yes, that is kind of the underlying issue going into the Phil Mickelson. Saturday. But, all right. You were there. Yeah, I'm going to yeah. set you up in a couple of ways for the Phil Mickelson story where he didn't let his ball finish rolling on the 13th, went yep. out and hit it while it was moving, which is a two-shot violation, ended up getting a 10 on the hole. And when he did it, the golf world stopped, melted, Twitter went nuts, and then everybody the had a The media center went crazy. Okay, that's why I want to ask you. Number one, you were there yes. when it happened in the media center, and there are sometimes media that likes to take it really, really okay, seriously. Okay, first off, let, I'm going to be honest and tell everyone. I'm going to get. I'm pull the curtain back yeah. on everybody. Yeah. When it first happened, no one thought it was real. What do you mean? Everybody thought it was like a tape. Or video. Like a practice round. Or, yes. No one. At, there was a collective, like, uh, what? Mm. Is that? And everyone looked at one another like, you saw that, right? Like this. And it says, there's a little thing there that says live. But it, there was a collective pause when everyone, because there was talking going on and whatnot, because everyone was already, already it, the other thing pulling the curtain back. The same people that were so mad at this Phil Mickelson doing yeah. something like this were the same people, excuse my language, about how unfair and terrible the course was okay. and complaining about the USGA did it again. And then as soon as that happened with Phil, it was like, oh, how dare Phil do that? It was a very big pearl clutching moment on social media. <laughs> It was it was Hide am- the children. It was amazing to me. Here's what I'll say about about Phil. And I want you you talk to players and caddies. I want all of that as well. All right. Here's what I'll say as a guy that didn't professionally work in the sport of golf. I'm in the media. I didn't caddy like yourself. I didn't play. I'm not professionally in the sport. I'm a guy when I go play with buddies. I'll roll the ball to improve my line. Fairway. <laughs> I'm one of those dudes. When but you, you know what? Everybody... You're you're in the majority. So right, and so a, that's... as a golfer who loves the game, you're in the majority. So that's the prism I'm seeing it through. Right. So okay. when I see it, I I look at it and I say, okay, Phil broke a rule. He blatantly broke a rule. He should be penalized. Let's move on. Right. I'm not one of those that think he cheated. And let me explain the difference between the two. 
Okay. Blatantly breaking a rule like Phil did is in front of everyone to see. He didn't care anyone saw. He did it. He was clearly. He tri- was doing he it. Was, he was, he was fed up. Do- he was yes. clearly making a statement. That's why he did it. To me, cheating is when no one's looking and you roll your ball or you drop a ball or you do something that you don't want to be caught doing. Or like in other sports, base, football and basketball especially, where you commit a foul and the ref don't blow the whistle and you're like, oh, I can get away with this. That's cheating. Hope. Doing something hoping Correct. not to get caught is cheating. Correct. That he should have been disqualified for if he was doing that. He didn't do that. He broke a rule. Right. And so this Well, this is the other thing where everyone freaked out is because there are two different rules. And there's rule one, two, and rule fourteen five. Which for me, again, from now on, from I just want everyone to know, I'm gonna say it from now on. I am no longer for fun gonna go play golf. You know what I'm gonna go play? I'm gonna go play common sense. Because golf is not common sense. It's not. It's stupid. Let me tell you, your common sense handicap will be much higher than your... Well, yeah, probably. <laughs> probably. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I can get people to gamble playing common sense with me, but Ooh. I don't care. I'm not playing golf anymore. I'm going to go play common sense. Rule one, two. If a ball is moving, whether it's going towards a hazard and out of bounds or going somewhere you don't want it to go, and you put a club down or let's use your foot. Yep. To just stop the ball. If you just try to stop or deflect the ball and you don't make a motion other than trying to stop, like a goalie stopping a puck. If you just put the stick down and stop the puck, that's a DQ. That will get you DQ'd. Now, as what Phil did, because that rule is rule one, two. Yep. If it's called deflection. If you just put something down to deflect the ball, to stop it, going to stop from it from go. going from where it's going to end up, right. that's deflection. What Phil did was he hit a moving ball. Hit means he actually purposely made a stroke, almost made the putt. That would have been great. That would have been awesome. Almost makes it, but because he actually made a swing at the moving ball and didn't just stop it, there, there's two different rules there, and now, I buy that he knew that. I do. Yeah, he, I buy that he knew that if he stopped yes. it, he knew that he was done. Yeah. I, well, I would also say he he wasn't going to try and stop it because of the slope that it was on. Because right. if he stopped it and then picked his club up, it was going to roll down the hill anyway and go where it was going. So where he actually swung at the ball to pop it back towards the hole, if he would have just stopped it or I'm doing the air quotes deflected it, then. He would have got DQ, but I I think he knew the rule anyway. What was funny to me was when I first in the media center, people are freaking out. He's got to be DQ'd. He better never show his face tomorrow. And they people lost their minds. And I'm going to give credit to a guy, Bob Estes, who on Twitter said, well, he could have just taken an unplayable. He could have let the ball roll out, and once it stopped, he could have taken an unplayable and then put it back and hit the exact same putt again, and it would have only been a one-stroke penalty. Okay, stay there because we get into the minutia of the rule. Yeah. Why do you believe the bulk of the media thought that he should disqualify himself or be disqualified? Why do you think that is? I truly believe that they – I'll say what Ian O'Connor 
said because and he wrote a column yes he did Our and we were staying in the same yeah. house and yeah we're, we are colleagues and i love ian to death but i am totally on the opposite side of where he's coming from he said it violates the spirit of the game that's what bothered him the most is that it was all about for him it was all about intent and but where the usga kind of did the heisman in ian's face was this is rule fourteen five is not a rule of intent. There is no you made a swing at a golf ball that was moving. Whether you do that in the fairway or on the green or on the tee, if you if the ball is moving on if if you top a ball off the tee and you run up and hit it while it's rolling, yep. that's a two stroke penalty. There's no what was your intent there. That has nothing to do with what he said. But where the everyone was mad and upset was children, what are you gonna say to the children that are watching and see you set an example like that? And my comeback to that was do you think children were watching what happened on Saturday? No. And if children were watching do you think they're looking at that going, yeah, I, I, I would love to play that game? Children see much worse watching football, basketball, baseball, crotch grabs. My thing is with the USG, if your job is to grow the game, why did you do something so stupid to that golf course as to make kids watch and go, I ain't doing that. that I'm not playing. It. Well, and that's the thing. That's the byproduct of where we now fast forward. Because I had you on SportsCenter on Sunday morning. Mm-hmm. And I had asked you, and I'm going to ask you again, because Saturday was such a clown show for the USGA to have a Hall of Famer, one of the legends of the game, pull that stunt, got everybody up in arms. What it did is it brought more attention to how awful the course was. I asked you Sunday morning. I said, you've talked to players. You've talked to caddies. What's been their reaction? What was the conversation? You don't have to give me names, but what were you hearing from players and caddies about Phil? It It was the same as the general public. They were split. Phil fans, the people that love Phil and his fans are fervent. They're, Which I do. And again, it's there's two camps. There's a Tiger camp and a Phil camp. I'm both. Yeah, well, I'm so weird. I'm a fan of golf. Like I, yeah. I it, people freak out that I'm like, you know, I'm friends with both Phil and Tiger. Mm-hmm. Like I'm cool with them. And how you got to pick one? No, I don't. I'm not. I don't do that. The people that love Phil Mickelson were like. Man, we so understand why he did that because it was so unfair the way it was set up. And the people that hate Phil were like, now watch and see what the USGA does to protect the golden child because there's nothing he could do. If Tiger Woods would have done that, they'd be calling for his head. And that, that was, and talking to players, I had two players that were completely split. I had one player telling me, ha, good for him. Good for him. He should have done that. The USGA effed it up. You know, I won't say what he said. And the other player was like, that's a shatty move. And it was, I'll just say, another SH word that rhymes with gritty. Yeah. And he was mad. He was mad that Phil did something like that. One guy was cool with it and was like, good, Phil made a point. And my thing, too, is for all the people that are like, even if the USGA did mess the course up, that's not how to get them to really. Well, what is? Because you how many times Sunday? How many times does you have? What? Yeah, but it shouldn't get to that. Oh, I agree. And this is the thing: how many times does the USGA have to over? <laughs> we'll do Charlie Murphy. The USGA is a habitual line stepper. 
they habitually <laughs> step over the line. You know what I'm saying? They are habitual line steppers. And what do, what's the only recourse for a player to get them to stop doing that? Exactly what Phil Mickelson did. Exactly what Phil Mickelson did. I agree. And I, my problem with the USGA is you did that to a golf course and then have the nerve to put on TV commercials of people just having a great old time, just laughing, giggling, having a good time. Golf course that are green and lush and very little rough. Go out and if you only got time, just go play nine. Yeah. Have a good old time. And then you come back, and then you come back to this. Yes. You've and- got brown greens and fescue the size of a toddler. And it just doesn't add up. No. And I just, I want to know, because again, I didn't work inside the ropes like you did. I just want to know and understand why people were so, I mean, there was a part during the broadcast, I jokingly tweeted it. I'm like, all right, so let's handcuff Phil and throw him into the pit of misery. Someone did tweet out too that the president's going to have to pardon Phil. I just didn't understand. It didn't, it didn't offend me. Well, bro, Curtis Strange, you could tell in that interview afterwards, Curtis Strange was not only he was mad, and then when Phil gave him the answer, was then even like oh, ready to blow. Yeah. And, yeah. And Curtis Strange, a colleague of ours, Masters Week, and he is old school. Old school. He was school. the last to win the U.S. Oh. Open back to back times. He's an old school golf guy. Yes. And Those so guys something like that. Andy you North wasn't happy about well, it. Well, people say you'd never see Arnold Palmer and Jack Nicholas do something like that. Well, guess what? The USGA didn't set up courses that way. So don't say that, stupid, because you don't know. You know what? Let me talk to Jack and Arnie. About, hey, did the USGA ever habitually line step when y'all was playing? Because I don't remember that ever happening, ever. I said this to someone. I said what Phil Mickelson did was perfectly on brand for Phil. And people just kind of looked at me the dog head tilt. Like, mm? what the hell are you talking mm? about? <laughs> and I said, Phil Mickelson has always been a man of the people. He's always been a man of the people. And idiots like me and other people that go out and golf, they've done that a hundred times. And so the reaction I was getting from people was like, good for Phil. I do it too. (laughs) And the funny thing was, number one, (laughs) so as soon as he does it, Beef is just goes, I'm sorry, dude. I, I gotta laugh at that. They both did. They Beef bust up laughing at it. And then on the walk into the next hole, Phil is smiling and giving the thumbs up to the crowd. That's what ticked people off. The old schoolers. Because not only I'm you, cool with that though, but like, not only do you break a rule in a U.S. Open, then you laugh about it. No, no, that's see, when it got bad. Well, this is where people you don't understand crazy. Like not everyone who snaps snaps, and then like Curtis Strange. When Curtis Strange snaps, he'll he'll f bomb everybody. Andy's the same way. Yep. When Andy snaps, you know it because you see the steam coming out of his ears. And they're F-bombing and throwing stuff. Tiger. They're going absolutely crazy. All of them. But not everyone does that when they snap. Some people snap and do the... <laughs> and you're like, smile oh, that's crazy. Like, you got to know, like, that's crazy, too. It's like the girl that'll, like, just yell at you. And then the one that goes, I'll find you. Right. There's, <laughs> it's, you it's, know, there's there's two different types of crazy. So you just because you're snaps. only looking for one... Oh, he definitely snapped. And here's where where he got called out. Where you go, you he knew exactly what he was doing. He knew exactly. Mm, maybe not. You know why? 
because he said, oh, I knew exactly. And it was, I knew what was going to happen is until we talked to beef and I got beef on tape yeah. saying the first thing Phil said to him was, I don't know what that is. So he said the same thing to the score too. I don't know what that is score wise. I don't know what that is. Now, if you know exactly what you're doing and you know the rule, like Phil said, he knew the rule. Then he knew as soon as he swiped at it, that's two strokes. So I got to add two onto there. Now, I will say this, and I'm not trying to defend Phil, but when you make a 10, by about stroke six, you ain't counting no more. No, you know, you're done. You yeah. Don't care. So when he made that swipe, he was like, that was either seven or eight. I don't know. I don't think he snapped. I think he's like, the hell with this. I'm not going down there. This course is a clown show. No, when he I'm started running towards, when he started running towards that ball before it got to the hill, that was that you could almost hear the <laughs> little right Man, in the back of the neck. It's tough. I don't know. It's it's tough to think. My prevailing thought with the film, it, I don't blame him for why. He give me did. one go. Even the guy who sent me the message and, and was I'm glad like, he did. Give me the guy. Even the guy who sent the message and said it was shady and blanky, like. Even he has to admit that at some point he's felt that way. He's gotten to a point, and I don't know one golfer, professional or amateur, that hasn't felt like that. How many times has Phil Mickelson been bitten by the U.S. Open? He's got a record six runner-ups. And the funny thing is— He's just been boiling his whole career. So John Daly does it and walks off the course. Like when John Daly did it, he quit. He was like, I'm out. I'm not coming back. You can kiss my booty. Now, Phil does it, and Phil's got the stones to go, no, I'll be back tomorrow. And and, that's, and people are mad. Like, I, here's the <laughs> – this is the other thing where I get mad when the, it's the same people that are like, how dare Phil do that? He should have disqualified himself and walked away. If he would have, you know what you would have said? How dare Phil not come back yeah. and show the respect to the game to the try. Like, you just quit. Do that. You're not going to try anymore? What kind of lesson is that sending the kids quitting? You have to own up to your mistakes. And then, you know what? You come back tomorrow and you try again. And that's exactly what Phil did. Okay, so the reaction when he parred 13th and mimicked his celebration after winning a major. Well, first, let's go to 14. What he did afterwards, another thing where he had had enough. This is another thing where it's the whole snap. The whole location on 14 was at a spot where he hit a putt instead of going for the hole. He hit it up the slope and then tried to bring it back. He was playing goofy golf. He was literally playing goofy golf, and then he made the putt from three and a half feet for par there on 14 afterwards. After basically what he did on 13, he gets to 14 and hits the green regulation and goes, all right, you want me to play goofy golf? And he walks off with a par. And then I even told him on Sunday, you're talking about the celebration that he did on 13 after making the par like he had won, and the crowd went nuts too. I kind of liked it. Dude, I walked up to him when he was signing autographs, and I love the fact that he didn't even speak to the media afterwards. I tapped him on the shoulder, and he turned it, and I go, dude, I love what you did on 13 today. It was awesome. And he smiles, and he goes, thanks, Mike. Thanks, man. And I was like, I just wanted to tell you. That was I awesome. Loved I loved the celebration. So did I. What, all, what he did is we segue into the talk of the USGA. He he promoted a conversation that was bigger than the tournament. I know a lot of people didn't like that. But when you when we look at this U.S. Open as a whole, Friday was really the only good day in terms of course setup. 
Thursday was okay. Friday was okay. And Thursday and Friday were all because of weather. That's it. Saturday was a joke. And because and of Sunday Saturday was, being sorry. a joke, it was overcorrected. Even though Brooks Kepka Caddy did say, and, and it's in Caddy Confidential, that when they got to the back nine, the greens didn't hold anymore because the wind picked up. But, but you know, here's the last the thing I'll place. say about yeah. Yes, the last thing I'll say about Phil Mickelson and about what he did on Sunday, for the people that are going to complain about that, you know what? Again, the USGA's job is to grow the game. What Phil Mickelson did on Sunday, if a kid was watching on Saturday and then came back and watched on Sunday, you just saw someone who got beat up by the game and by a hole come back the next day. And by the court of public opinion. Correct. And, and his co- peers. Come back the next day and go... Today, I won, and I got you, Mr. Hole, and I made my par. And guess what? When you get knocked down, I got back up again, and I played the hole, and I got it. Like, you tell you you go tell a child that that's a bad message. Tell, tell a kid that from what he did on Saturday to what he did on Sunday is a bad lesson to learn, and I will tell you to put yourself in timeout. Yeah, Phil Mickelson's new again at the age of 48 because everyone's talking about him. <laughs> Phil Mickelson is brand new all over again. I'll leave it with this on the USGA because I think we've kind of used that within the point of Phil Mickelson. Ricky Fowler was 19 shots better on from Saturday to Sunday. 19 <laughs> shots better. Don't tell me they didn't overcorrect. 19 shots better is a joke. And the USGA has to be careful because it's our celebrated national championship. And I watched... Trying to think of a term that's not going to offend people here. I watched two different people on two different days, and the course was the person. It, the course showed up in a horrible mood on Saturday, and you're like, oh my God, watch yourself. And that same person the next day comes up, hey, how are you? What's going on? Great seeing you again. It's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I brought snacks. Whoa. You told me. You hated to me. To go to hell that yesterday. Yes. That I'm the worst person ever. And then today you bring snacks? Right. Today you're inviting me to your house? Want to sit down? Just want to hug. <laughs> I It had an identity crisis. Yes. And I don't need that anymore. No. And, and you the, don't need that anymore. No. Golf doesn't need anymore. The other thing that bothers me the most about the USGA is, have you ever heard of them messing up a U.S. amateur? No. You ever heard of messing up the course at a U.S. mid-am? Nope. I've never even really heard of a horrific incident at a women's U.S. Open. Yeah. Why? Why? Why do you have such a problem with the professional men's game? Why do you feel the need to try and go look at what we can do to these guys if we want to? If we want to, right. But the problem is then when you do it and there's a backlash, you go, oh, we didn't we didn't want to do that. But you keep doing it. What do you think of Mike Davis showing up on the Fox broadcast at the end of Saturday? I think that he... He didn't have I, a choice. No, I think that he had to. Yeah, he didn't have a choice. He stood – He. this is the same guy who, when we talked to him last year, said, I guarantee you Shinnecock, like 2004, will never happen again. It'll never happen again. Okay, man, Mike. Hey, Mike, Um, Lucas Glover's wife's right over there. <laughs> want to hang out with her for a little bit? It just it won't happen again. I yeah. promise. Oh wow, you went there. <laughs> yeah, I did. Glover off yeah, the I did. Yeah, it look. Only cuz I love Lucas Glover, so if I didn't love him, I wouldn't need him. We will uh we will rank the 2018 US Open at Shinnecock. It'll be the Phil Mickelson US Open. We do want to 
talk about Brooks for a second because yeah. to go back to back first to do it since Curtis Strange back in the late eighties, eighty eight, eighty nine, he showed exactly what makes Brooks Kepka great. His ability to overpower the tee, but he doesn't get flapped by anything. He's no. smart and he hits putts when he needs to. Rarely, other than any tournament in the U.S. Open, can you see a bogey one in the tournament. But I believe that bogey on 11 on the par 3 when he went long, chipped it back up and made that long putt for bogey. It's funny that you it was said like he's that. Unflappable. I asked his caddy what was the shot of the tournament, and that's exactly what he said. Yep. He went long on 11, and he goes, his turn was, we could have stood there playing tennis all day, which is going back and forth, yep. back and forth. And he goes, the fact that. He hit a good chip there knowing it wouldn't stay on the green. And then that bunker shot and making up four there, it was like that was it. You know, he so only good. he had two three putts all week. That's it. He he was number two in driving distance. He was number four in greens and regulation. And he was number two in strokes game putting. Like that, to win a U.S. Open, there you go. That's what He plays U.S. Open golf, and now you're talking about a guy like Dustin Johnson that has four top fives in the last five years at U.S. Mm. Opens. We saw out of Brooks this weekend what Dustin Johnson didn't have going into the weekend. It was the putter. No, but was, Dustin was, Johnson, was, you know what? He got broke on that. What they did on Saturday broke him. He was four under It, bro- it going broke. into Saturday. Yeah, he had a four-shot lead, yep. and that course setup just absolutely broke him. Here you go. He, he played in the final group with Scott Piercy. You know what Scott Piercy ended at? Started at even okay. going into Saturday. Let me guess. I think it was plus eight. Total? Yeah. Fifteen. I'm sorry, what? Fifteen. He shot nine over on Saturday and six over on Sunday. Oh, my God. He ended at plus 15, which was a tie for 44th. But this is the USGA. But I, someone – and it stinks because there's so many people at the USGA. Like everyone that works in the media center for the USGA – Oh, just awesome people! Pete Kowalski and Steph DePillo, like great I, staff. I love them, all of them. And and the last thing I want is anyone, anyone who has done any kind of work for us in the media has always been fantastic and bent over backwards. And this is not a shot at them. And I don't want anybody like that I deal with every day to think that I'm taking a shot at them because it's not their fault. They had nothing to do with this. But Mike Davis is responsible. And 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 I will say it right to his face. And I did afterwards. I I kept saying, why? How come you never err on the safe side? Why didn't do you, want a sixteen under par winner? He won't say that though. They won't say that. It's it's hailed as the toughest test in golf. What we saw the, over the weekend was an absolute tire fire. Amen. So Brooks Kepka, your back to back winner of the U.S. Open, uh, Pebble Beach is next year, I believe. Uh, could he win three in a row? Certainly. No one's ever done no, that. No one's ever done it. He appears to have the kind of game. He appears to be built for U.S. Open. It's amazing to me now he's got more major championships than Dustin Johnson. That's a story for another day. Yeah. I did say that I wanted to get into golf gods, and I and I feel that it's the right thing to do. Um, we've all played golf. Well, we, first, do you think Kepka can win three in a row? I do. Really? I think I think he is to a U.S. Open what Jordan Spieth is to a Masters. Oh, there's just well, look at you. There's just something about the style of play that fits a guy like Brooks Koepka. Okay. I do. Yeah. Do you? I, I I do think that his style of golf does fit the U.S. Open, but three in a row. It's tough. And and the way that he had to go through what he went through to get to win this one, unless he's going to sit on a sofa from November past the Masters. doesn't matter. He'll look like Popeye in the rough and just bust through it. Like just, he, yeah, he the problem is, though, like because he was sitting on a sofa for so long – that made that hunger burn more than what I think it would have if he was playing 
throughout. Golf hunger or food hunger? Both. Weightlifting hunger? Yeah. Well, he, Dustin he's, Johnson? Yeah. Drinking protein shakes, doing curls? <laughs> That's their thing. They love doing some... Protein shakes. <laughs> That's what they do. Those two do. So, I know. Hey, look, we'll see if he can get it done at Pebble Beach. I started talking about golf gods. We all believe in them. Oh, golf yeah. gods exist. Oh, yeah. And for those who downloaded episode one of Maddie and the Caddy, the SVP round, we thank you for your support. We thank you for the feedback on social media. Um, but you also, the prevailing favorite story from Maddie and the Caddy episode one, the SVP round, was the one of, of Michael Collins getting fired by Daniel Chopa's wife. And 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 the fight that they almost got into in a tournament. So Michael texted me on this Thursday. is karma, man. Oh, this Wednesday or Thursday, you text me. It was we- Thursday. Okay, so you te- he texted me Wednesday. The podcast, yeah, our, the podcast came out le- that Tuesday. So, yeah, you text me Wednesday, yeah. and Michael and I have been fortunate enough in our career to come across some really fun, interesting people. Yep, you have a fantastic Rolodex. I have a nice one. So we we just we're, we're yeah we wouldn't be surprised by anything. So he texted me. Michael texted me. It's in all caps and seventy five exclamation points. Guess who just walked into the media center? <laughs> and I'm like, oh gosh, this could be anyone. So for whatever reason, I still don't know why my reason was person was Katie Nolan, but my response to you was Katie Nolan. I don't know why the hell I said Katie Nolan, but that was my answer. Oh, like, oh, no. Katie Nolan it wasn't Katie Nolan. So then he fires out of you say Katie Kurt. Right. <laughs> so then he fires back, check our Instagram, and I'm like, oh no. There's gonna be a picture of Collins and like Snooky from Oh my gosh. From, yeah, no. From uh, Jersey Shore. No. So then I look and Golf Gods wanted this to happen. Who did you run into at the media center the day after Maddie and the Caddy post? Daniel Chopra. <laughs> and he had different color hair. His hair is now dark. What ha- like walk me through the story because I was okay. mid walk. I'm dying laughing looking at this picture because I go and it was at dining too. That was the ironic thing. So I'm in there getting ready to have lunch. I put my stuff down and as I go back to grab a bottle of water, I'm walking back to my table and I hear, "Hey, Mike." <laughs> <laughs> you just love that accent. <laughs> and I look up and I'm like, Daniel? And he was like, hey. And I was like, wait, what are you doing here? And it turns out he was doing some work for one of the overseas tele, uh, television companies. So he was doing some stuff there. And I was like, dude, you're not going to believe this. And then I, I said to him, I was like, yo, are you on like Twitter or Instagram or Face anything? And he was like, no, not on any of those, Mike. And I was like, okay. Cause I kept thinking, I was like, we got to take a picture, man. It's been forever. And then he was recalling, we were talking about that 2004 U.S. Open. Had he listened to the podcast? No, I don't even know if anyone told him about it, but I did say, I was like, man, I literally was just talking about you, dude. I was but just talking about Does he know in you. what way you were talking about him? I don't know if he knows that part. <laughs> I don't know. But I was, I mean, we, we're friends now. We laughed. Now, you know what I mean? I would love to say, like, I saw him and I was like, man, get out of my face. You better not even talk to me and stuff. But, you know, but the beautiful thing is we have, there's a witness who actually saw everything. So what? We can just get the nod. The the re, the reunion? No, no. Mom was there. Oh. Mom was there at the original incident. Caddy's mom was there? Caddy's mom was there. Caddy's mom is in here in studio. Yeah, she doesn't want, she won't. She won't talk, but can I confirm? Were you were you you were at the incident? 
Yes, you, I, I was at the incident. I saw it happen. So you can verify what happened? I can verify that actually happened. <laughs> Told you. Believe it or not, it actually happened. Mom was there. Mom that saw it. Unbelievable to me. It's a good thing that I just had to it's good thing that Jose, your story. Yeah, no, it's a good thing. You, it's a good thing that my buddy Jose isn't here because and, he would be. He would. He and would now Stephen A. Smith is here. Oh, what? I I kind of almost wanted him to come in here. I know. Did he already walk by, or did he? No, he didn't walk Hold on. Because our producer would have would have said something. All right, so here's what we're doing. I'm going to give you play-by-play of what's going on. Caddy left the studio. He went to go get Stephen A. Smith to come in here and meet Caddy's mom. So Stephen A. Smith has now walked into the studio. We're literally, we're literally recording the podcast right now, so you can just say hi. Go on ahead. Hello, Stephen A. How are you? Good seeing you. Good. Pleasure to meet you. How are you? Very, very nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, too. Thank you so much. How's everything going? You know my nickname for your son, right? No, I don't. I called him Michael Dear Abby Collins. <laughs> Dear Abby. That's right. Dear and I Abby did it on first take the other day because he's sitting there psychoanalyzing folks, giving them every every kind of a, come on, Tiger's been through a lot. I mean, 26, and if he finishes 26, I mean, that's a good deal. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? I said, what is this, Dear Abby? What is this? What are you doing? Hey, can, real quick, can you just give us your take on the Phil Mickelson fiasco? You know, I, I'm listen. It breaks golf etiquette. He's been around the game. He knows better. He did it on purpose. We know that. On one hand, okay, what is it, automatic two-point deduction or whatever? Yep. We get all that. The penalty is the penalty. He clearly knew it. Um, He clearly does not care. Right. <laughs> and he's the kind of person that has gotten away for, with that. Not that particular thing, but he's gotten away with being a rules breaker, a guy that doesn't – Pretty much has a nonchalant attitude. Lives on the edge. Lives on the edge. We get it. The problem is not with him. It's with the rest of us. Would we give anybody else that pass? See, that's what I was saying. People said if Tiger did that, what would have happened? It's it's, it's all about – see, to me, particularly in the world of sports more so than anything else, sports is the closest thing we have in our society, in my opinion, to a meritocracy. Everything else involves spin. But in a world of sports, you got to go out there and you got to perform. And you're performing in public. You don't get to perform behind closed doors. Mm -hmm. So with everybody seeing what you're doing and it being the closest thing to a meritocracy, we can't then allow the sports world to regress to what politics is, Mm. what corporate America is, and beyond where the proverbial glass ceiling exists, where you can find your way to maneuver and uh, around, uh, around things. No, you don't want that. You don't want you don't ever want sports to be about that, because if you let if you let the merits and the meritocracy portion of, you know, leave the world of sports and engage in politics, spin control, favoritism and all of that other stuff. Once it hits sports, it's over. You can't do anything with anybody. Everything is spin. And sports, we don't have spin. You got to go out there and perform. You can sit up there, it's just like a player, like he gets upset because he doesn't like what I said or he doesn't like what I wrote or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Oh, I'm not going to talk to this guy. Well, they didn't tell you. I don't have to talk to you to talk about you. <laughs> you still got to go out there and perform. <laughs> and I get to chronicle it. Right. So you don't have to talk to me. You can talk to whomever you please. It doesn't matter. You don't get to escape because you got to perform. This is the one venue. This is the one medium in which we get to do that. Everything else involves spin. It involves one's interpretation. 
It involves politics. It involves power. But in the world of sports, yeah. it's about your performance. That's what they market. That's what they sell. And that's ultimately what they get judged by. And that's what we have to keep them accountable to. And if mm. we're going to judge other people, then we have to judge Phil, Sickerson, Phil Mickelson the same way. If we let him off, then we have to let everybody off. See, why didn't we just say it like that? See, why did you say it like you wanna that? You want to know why I don't why? wear You don't want to know why I don't get suits as good as his? Because I can't speak as eloquently. Yes. That's why. I yeah. wouldn't go that far. Good see you, Thank you. Appreciate it. So just a day in the life of uh, Maddie and the caddy. You run out. You flag down Stephen A. Smith. He meets mom. And then gives us a soliloquy <laughs> on Phil Mickelson. I thought it was fantastic. All right. Before we get to the Jack Nicholas interview. So the Chopra thing was phenomenal. Oh, just the karma. It's karma, period. The fact that we put that podcast out. I had never told the story and who it was. Yep. I had never put that out. Our podcast was the first time I'd ever publicly said who the incident happened with, with almost getting in a fight on the golf course. And then the fact that at the U.S. Open, where, again, I, I told that another story about being at the U.S. Yeah. Open with him, the fact that he showed up there was it was crazy. That, to me, was the golf gods at work. Yeah. And if you haven't listened to episode one and you don't know what story we're referring to, Subscribe, download oh, yeah. to Maddie and the Caddy, and listen to episode one of the Daniel Chopra story. And I promise that I will tell how uh, yes, Steve Williams. Yes, that's a new segment coming up at yes, the end of the podcast. But yes. coming up next, the greatest of all time, Jack Nicholas. We sat down with him at Shinnecock. We sat down with him prior to the start of play. So if you're wondering why we don't get the Phil question in there or anything about the tournament, it was more about Jack the person going into the U.S. Open. Ice cream. That coming up next on Maddie and the Caddy. 18 career major championships, four U.S. Opens. I, I couldn't think of anybody else better to join us at a U.S. Open than the great Jack Nicholas. And Jack, when you when you step on a course at a U.S. Open, where do your memories go? Well, I don't get on the golf course anymore. You know, I'm here at Shinnecock and I haven't seen a hole. <laughs> I can't get out there. You know, I never get. To, I'll never get to see it. So, uh, but my memories go back to you know the playing days when I was out in the middle of the fairway and uh, enjoyed. Um, Play the golf course, play the competition, and uh, having a chance to win. Absolutely. I just want to know, for you, your U.S. Open, if you could only have one, if they go, okay, yeah, you no, have No, 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 don't ask that. <laughs> but let's ask something realistic. Okay, here's something or, realistic. If I, if I could get my fifth one, how's that? Yeah, yeah, there you go. Okay, so, yeah, I love that, too. That I was go back be- and break Watson's wedge. <laughs> <laughs> Have Pebble. That's That'd be funny. You'd just be in the corner and then go, hey, Tom, have you checked that? Because it looks a little bent. It looks a little bent. Like it's uh, unplayable. I don't think you're allowed to use that in Tom. I think you got to take that out of play. Hey, good luck here with this chip. Bye. Do you do that, though? Do you go back at some of these tournaments that got away and think of specific moments if you're just having a time by yourself? Well, I have, uh, I have two. Two that you know, two people say, "What, what, what? What's the best shot or two you'd like to have back in your game?" I say, "Watson's chip at uh, seventeen at Pebble Beach and Trevino's chip at seventeenth at Muirfield." <laughs> if I had those two back, shots. I won both tournaments. <laughs> you'd rather take them back from them yeah. for your own. And and you look at, the, at where the game of golf is. The thing that I love about it is it's the one sport where legends collide with the up and comers. When you look at where we sit right now in the sport with the Tigers and the Phils playing competitive again and some of these young up-and-comers, how healthy is the sport in your mind? I think the sport of golf, from a competitive standpoint, is as healthy as it's ever been. As a matter of fact, it's 
It's it's unbelievable. I mean, people say, "Who do you think is going to win this week?" I said, "I don't have a, the wildest idea." I mean, they've got so many players that are playing well and so many good players that you know that, that's that's what makes it great. I mean, when when I played, it was like, "Well, who's going to win?" I said, "Well, it's going to be Nicholas. It's going to be Palmer. It's going to be players. It's going to be you know maybe Watson or Trevino." I mean, that's about what we had. You know, we had a couple other guys that they, they were occasionally there, and so forth. But those are the guys. Then when Tiger was playing. Uh, at his pop, it was Tiger, and you know you didn't really have anybody else who was really challenging. Occasionally, Phil would been there, or Ernie, or uh, maybe VJ. Yep. You know that kind of thing, but they didn't really. There was you could always name just about four. Today, I think you go back where I think Phil is still very competitive. Tiger is now becoming competitive again. Uh, you got you go back to. Uh, you got Dustin and you got Ricky and you got Justin and Justin Rory and, and Rory. Steve. Yeah, Rory hasn't Rory gotten the form J- yet. Jordan and I mean, you just keep in uh, uh, Hideki and uh, you know, you just you go right down the line and you look at some of the new guys, uh, DeChambeau and you look at uh, uh, Ben Hahn who almost won our tournament and uh, you got you know player after player after player. That are good players mm-hmm. and are capable of winning any week, and I think uh, from that standpoint, golf is uh, golf is in the best state it's ever been. Now you know this is all your fault, though. Why is it my fault? It's your fault because you raised the level. So you raised the level to here, and then that meant Tiger was watching you put your records up on his wall in his bedroom when he was a little boy. You got to keep going on this, Michael. Well, I don't wonder where you're going, but that's okay. So, so <laughs> it's going to take a while. Here's the thing. No, <laughs> hear me out. You, you raise the level. So now Tiger puts the records up. So now he comes along and after, after you're out there, then you got like Norman and Nick Price and Faldo and they're up there trying to catch up. And it's, there's a little, you know, battle for who's going to be at the top. And all those guys are just as good, but no one shines. And then here comes Tiger. And Tiger comes out and goes, okay, I'm going to try and do what Jack did and try and take it to the next level. And he does. And he's working out. He, like, basically went, hmm, I know Gary Player doesn't do a 1,000 push-ups every day. I'm going to do, like, 150. I'm going to get big. I'm going to work out. I'm going to eat healthy. But I'm going to try and play like How Jack. How do you know Gary doesn't do a 1,000? Okay, so maybe 750. <laughs> maybe 750. Oh, uh, you know, that's okay. I'm, I'm just going to say I'm not going to be there just eating two pieces of fruit with him while he's working out. No, that's right. Like he's gonna, but two, I'm just saying. You're going to have two milkshakes that, today, right? You're dang all right. I'll be that's drinking right. milkshakes watching him. Hey, that's 120. <laughs> <laughs> but then Tiger raises the level. So now all of these kids that watch Tiger are going, oh, so this is now what we have to do. And these are the kids that watch Tim. So it started with you, and then the next – and I'm sure for so you it was – it's all my fault, huh? Yeah. I blame uh, yeah, you. Oh, okay. okay. But I, I would take that because if you look at to where we are now with the sport, as we had said it, how deep it is before, I mean, you look at just the evolution of the game – I love talking with you and we do television with Andy North, uh, who's in there in here with us right now. We love talking about the equipment. What would your game have done with the equipment that these guys are playing with today? Who knows? I don't know. I think uh, I think I'd have done fine with this equipment. I think the good players would have done fine with the equipment I had. You know, I think that uh, I think a champion would have been champion in any era. Yeah, yeah. I think they would have accommodated to what they have and what there is and how they had to play. I mean, we had to go back and play. Uh, Got to perch your balls. I'm sure that the uh, best players today would be 
would would be the best players back then. So twenty four majors for you. <laughs> yeah, oh yeah, because wait a minute. No, I don't know. Hold on. You <laughs> hit a woodhead and a balada wound golf ball three hundred yards. How far if in your prime, how far are you hitting with this equipment, one of those balls that done spin that you don't have to worry about if you catch it maybe a quarter of of a of a centimeter, it's gonna spin and phew, like that. So how far? How far? Are you I don't hitting? know, Michael. I, I suppose I'd hit it a long way, but a lot of guys hit it a long way. And, Fair enough, and, and that's okay. I mean, I think that, uh, and I have no idea what my club head speed was. Uh, we didn't we didn't measure club head speed back then. We didn't have it. I mean, the first time I had my club head speed measured, I was fifty eight years old, <laughs> and I was one hundred eighteen mile an hour. At fifty eight, wow. that's what I had. I had it done out in California, and I said, "They said you want to see what your club head speed is." And I've never had it done. I was, I was, I was, I was one hundred eighteen, and they said, "There's one guy on the senior tour. It was the same as I was. Jim Dent was one hundred eighteen, and so he was also known I mean, as a bomber. I mean, yeah, Jim hit a long way, and so you know, I don't know how far, how fast my club head speed was when we played, mm. but uh, obviously it was faster than that, but. Uh, you know, there's a lot of guys that are fast. There's a lot of guys that hit long. The guys today, I mean, you know, I used to be, Arnold called me Big Jack. I mean, good gracious, I'm anything but a big guy. You know, I mean, when I was playing, I was just shy of six foot and about 185 pounds. I mean, there's there's a hundred guys out there that are, you know, four inches taller than I am and and and, and 30 bar pounds and 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 get tremendous amount of club head speed. So those guys do bomb it. Yeah, but. Tell me about that 1963 PGA Long Drive contest, though. Oh, what about it? Oh, what? <laughs> it was just, it was just, it just, you know, just a lightning in a bottle, you know. <laughs> yeah, Hold on, works. is there a farm around here? Because I smell yeah. bull. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, tell what happened there. Oh, I, we had we had a driving contest. Actually, it's, it's the uh, uh, first one that we had in the PGA that, that I competed in, and I hit it 341.17. Oh. Wait, 1963. Wow. What was the driver you were using? It was 42 and three-quarter inches, a dynamic S shaft with 11 and a half degrees, wood, wood driver. Wood And what was driver. the golf ball? They all they all put the same golf ball. We all had, they ever put, I think they put out Tideless for everybody. And so we all hit the same ball. But, 341. Uh, oh, yeah, but it was, I mean, but it was downhill about four feet. <laughs> so I still feel so modest, even with the yardage. Jack, there was, there was something that came out the other day that they, they posted a schedule of what your schedule was as an 11-year-old in the summer. And it came out on social media, and, it, and, and I saw this. And they, I, I haven't seen it. You're more, this is what they said this, your schedule was as a child growing up. Oh, this is what I, yeah, well, this is what I used to do every day. And if I wasn't playing a tournament, I'd get up in the morning. Right. And we had to play before 8 o'clock because juniors had to play before 8 yeah. o'clock. So i get up in the morning and, and i walked to the golf course and the fourth hole was right maybe 500 yards from where I live. So I went down a park in between two houses and I got to the fourth hole. So I played it down the fourth hole, played the ninth hole into the clubhouse and get there so I could still tee off by 8 o'clock so I, or before 8 o'clock. So i go play 18 holes, come in, we'd have lunch, go hit balls, Jack Grout would either come out and watch what we're doing and so forth. And, and then that, when, at 4 o'clock, juniors could play again. So I went out and played at 4 o'clock. I played another 18 holes. You know, that's that's why I ended up playing golf. Because golf was a sport that I didn't have to wait for somebody to uh, throw the ball back to me or defend me or, or wait for 10 other guys to get in a dusty field to play baseball or something. I mean, I loved all those other sports, but... They didn't want to do what I wanted to do. I wanted to play play whatever sport I was playing. I wanted to play it all day. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and golf was the only one I could play all day. 
I could I could have played tennis all day, but I would you know my dad just introduced me to tennis, but not not much then. I, I love tennis today, and uh, I wish I would have learned when I was younger. But uh, uh, tennis is still that sport though that you need another person. It's it's not need, nearly you, as fun up against a wall. Need, you definitely need another person, and uh, you know I play a lot more tennis today than I do golf. But uh, uh, it was uh, and my dad was a good tennis player. My dad was city tennis champion, so he was uh, you know a little bit of athletics he, in there. He, he enjoyed it. He loved it. How is the tennis game right now? How how well? I, I, my shoulder's not been very good, so I haven't played much lately. But uh, uh, I'm, I just had some stem cells done on my shoulder, so I'm hopefully in another uh, month or so I'll be back hitting the ball on the tennis court. Are you still allowed to go fishing though? I How's can do the fishing. Fly fishing? I did a little, do a little fly fishing. I went last week. Barbara and I went over to over to the Bahamas and uh, we cut we cut a, a fair number of fish. We had a, had a great time and. I uh, got a couple friends with us, Sherry and Jack Lux went with us, and two friends of ours that, from a college fraternity brother. And, really? Yeah, we've been friends for 50 years or 60 years, whatever it's wow. been. Wow. I guess 60 years. And uh, we all had a great time and caught a lot of fish, and and uh, the weather was good. And how can, how can you beat that for a, for a little bit of about, about three days off? And I love the fact that some, Barbara is just as competitive bone fishing Bar- against you. Barbara, Barbara. <laughs> I, I, you know, Barbara used to go. She said, "Oh, I can't throw a fly rod. I can't throw a fly." I said, "Barbara, you can catch a trout." And she said, "Well, I, but I can't catch a bonefish." She said, "That's that's harder." And I said, "And she used to throw a spinning rod with a shrimp on it." So one day I said to her, "I said, Barbara, now you, you know, you got to throw the fly rod. Let's see what happens. You can catch a bonefish." She threw it out, stripped the lid. Bonefish took it. I've never seen a strip since. <laughs> Unless you're eating got, it, she does. You know, she does, yeah, that's right. But she does. She does well. At, she does really nicely at fly fishing, and uh, she enjoys it. She has fun with it, and, it, and she's a great fishing companion for me. And it allows us to spend more time together as a family because all my kids love to fish too. That's so cool. I want to go back to Augusta because we were all there with ESPN for the Masters coverage, and, and your grandson GT hitting the hole in one. Where does that rank now that you've had a little bit of time? And just... thanks for making me cry, too. <laughs> you did. I, was, I, don't, was... I don't know anyone who anyone who saw that live or even my friends who saw it on tape then text me after I said, turn on the TV right now, and said, why did you just make me cry? And I was like, I didn't make you cry. You blame Jack. It's his fault. <laughs> Where does that moment rank for It was you? pretty high. I, th- I would have to think that, you know, when you do stuff yourself, uh, you sort of you work at it and it happens and, and you move on. But when one of your kids or one of your grandkids, particularly your grandkids, do something, and it's it's so special. And I just said that, and we had talked about it. He, and he even told his dad the night before, wouldn't it be great if I could make my first hole-in-one at Augusta tomorrow? I mean, how, how, do, you, how do you talk about that? And, I mean, and then he knocks it in the hole. And, of course, his name is Gary Thomas yeah. after his son or after his father. And his father's named after Gary Player. So Gary Player was in the group. So Gary was... Gary was there and coming, and you thought he was one of Gary's sons. Right. Yes. I mean, Gary, the way that Gary that's, celebrated. That's, yeah, that's why Gary was so excited because he because you know he feels that 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 feeling and affection towards uh, GT, and so we all had, we all had a great time and that shot. I mean, GT's going to be a nice player. I took him back to Augusta a couple weeks later with his dad, and and uh, he plays all the way back. I go up to the front tees and he plays back. And, <laughs> He he was even par for fourteen holes, and, wow. and he, he did bogey in, bogey in. But uh, uh, seventy six is still a pretty good score for a, for a fifteen year old. Absolutely, and he's people don't know this too. He's musically talented, talented as well. He's very talented. He he plays a piano, plays a guitar, he sings, he writes his own music. He uh, you know he he loves it. He he is a ham. I'm telling you, really? he loves to be in front of a crowd. 
Somebody say, comedian. you want to sing, GT? A lot of people out there, oh, yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> how has his celebrity risen from that moment at the Masters? I bet he's oh, been he, well, he, was, he's that, he was that way before that. Yeah. And, I mean, I, you know, he, I, I don't worry too much about him. He's pretty grounded. Yeah. Uh, a lot of kids, you worry about him scratching their ears out here about three feet, you know. Mm-hmm. But uh, I don't worry about GT. He's, he's, he's very grounded, a good kid, straight-A student, and uh, he's uh, – you know, he, he, he's, a, he's a good kid. I, I want to ask you this, Jack. When, you, when you've got these young stars, and the, another thing I love about golf is the young players can seek knowledge from the greatest. When one of these young players comes up to you and they say, Jack, I need one piece of advice from the greatest of all time, what are you telling them? Well, I don't really tell them one piece of advice. If the guys come, and I'm very flattered that they do come to me, is I, I want to find out what their, what their problems are, what they're thinking, or what what they're doing so that I can tailor my answer to what really can actually help them rather than just give them. I don't want to interject something that they don't need or be part of. And I don't want to interject anything unless they want it. I mean, I've got 30 of the young pros are, are uh, uh, members down at the Bears Club. Mm-hmm. It's our club in Florida. And, and you know, maybe, you know, 10 or 12 of them have come to me and said, can we have lunch? I'd like to talk to you, Mr. Nicholson. Said, talk about this, talk about that. I said, fine, delighted. I'm happy to help any of them anytime they want to do it. And uh, we sit down, and I say, yeah, what's on your mind? So they, I let them talk. And if I can interject something that will help them, it's fine. I do not want to get in and start saying, you know, I think you need to do this. Mm-hmm. That's the last thing I want to do. I just want to, I want to help them. I want them, I want them to, to enjoy the game, give them, give them a little help that uh, maybe can help, them, help their career and give them a little, uh, just a little tidbit that can move here and there. If they want me to do more, I'm happy to do more, but... Uh, you know, they've all got their own teachers and their own people, sure. and I, I don't want to interfere with their teachers. But I still, you got to do it the right way. Yeah, you have the house where you got the cool house. You got the house where the cool kids want to hang out and want to pick your brain. Is there a part of you like that's like I I didn't necessarily expect this, but it's it's pretty nice. Well, no, I didn't expect it, Michael. I, I never have expected it. I mean, I've got twenty two grandkids, so. And, and, you know, my kids never ask me about advice. You know, that, so kids never ask a dad. That's kind of funny. No, yeah, that's true. Dad don't know. No, not, that's not actually the truth. But yeah, of I mean, course. But, you know, yeah. they, but you know how yeah. kids don't really come to their dad. I remember Jackie told a story the other night. He said, remember with 13, 13th hole, he was playing on, on at a junior tour. Oh, he was 13 years old. He was playing the 13th hole. And he hit a putt and he lifted his head badly and hit a bad putt. And I looked over. I said, you know, you know fundamentals, you got to keep your head still. And he walked off with the kid he's playing with. He says, what was that all about? He says, oh, it's my dad. He says, he doesn't know anything about this game. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, but that's typical of, of, a, chi- of, a, of a child. Yes. That's yes. very typical. So, you know, I, but, but, you know, the, uh, the kids that are on tour are not my kids. Mm-hmm. And, but to have a, uh, a 22-year-old come to you and ask you a question to a 78-year-old uh, is, is kind of unusual. And, but a lot of them have. And. Uh, you know, it keeps me young, keeps me involved in the game of golf. Uh, uh, it, it's very flattering to me, and uh, and I think I can actually impart some advice that can help him. And I'm going to ask you for a favor. Next year at the Memorial, I need you to post signs everywhere of his picture, and do not serve him any more milkshakes. Oh no, no, no! He, he, what we do is we make about 48 different flavors. Yeah. And, and Michael's only been through forty-three of them. Oh no! He's got that five more flavors, and he's got it. But, he, but he, he's got to test them first, and then he has to come back to make sure he likes them the second time. So, so you, you got to wait a couple years for that. Couple years, and then it's uh, it's, done. Is, that is done. it's done. Then it's done. Then we'll he cut him off. Me, and this is the, <laughs> your ice cream. 
How did you decide to come? When you came up with your ice cream, I want to know all about that as a guy who loves <laughs> ice cream. Well, the Schwann Food Company up in Minneapolis or Minnesota, Marshall, Minnesota, actually, uh, came to us and wanted to wanted to get into the uh, retail business and ask us if we would be involved, be, like to be involved. I said, well, I don't get involved unless we really are involved. So, so Barbara and I got involved with... Uh, the makeup of flavors and testing them and changing them and so forth. And we ended up with, uh, uh, I think we got 14 flavors of ice cream. And, uh, you know, it's good ice cream. The really trouble is it's a, it's, a, it's a hard business. Yeah. It's a hard business to get into. And, you know, it depends on what the buyer at the store wants. And, and, and you know, you got to tailor to him. And some stores will take a, two or three flavors. Some will take a bunch. I don't know. But you know, it's 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 that part's a pain in the neck. But the ice cream's really good. Yeah, how, many, how many people hit you up for like their dream flavor? Like Jack, make me this flavor. Uh, well, we probably got most every flavor anybody would want. <laughs> <laughs> There's some really good flavors in there. Collins, what would really be your good. flavor if you had if you had a, a Jack line of ice cream that your flavor? What would you do? Like if if, if, if like they would say the so the ice like, creams that he has out, yeah. I've had eight of the flavors so far. Yeah, and the anything you that's you coffee. Have, you flavor haven't had blueberry cheesecake yet. Have oh, you? that. Oh. Oh, oh, that's really I, good. Oh, see? And this is why Mike's never getting skinny. So, because <laughs> yeah, every year. There's a lot of good ones. I know. I And I'm going to taste them. I don't know. But before we let you go, I, do, I got one bone to pick with you. Okay. So, your conversation with Faldo talking about caddies. With yeah. Angelo and the caddy, how the caddies have sometimes, sometimes can have too much input now. But you said something that I thought to myself, hold on a minute. This is also part of it. Before you, there was no such thing as yardage books. Hmm. That's right. So you and Angelo developed some serious yardage books. Like, and no one was well, doing I d- that. I developed the yardage books. Yes, you long did. B- yeah. Long before okay. Angelo. Yeah, okay. you're right. You de- you did. You developed those the yardage books, and then, and Angelo was there. <laughs> with well, you. No, Angelo, but Angelo was terrific. In other words, in my way of thinking, I, we were kidding about it. The three ups of caddying, you know, <laughs> you show up, keep up, and shut up. And and, and, and that's all right. And and, and 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 realistically, that's really what you want. But but what you want with a caddy. Is a young is a young man or or I don't care an older man it doesn't make any difference somebody that you relate to who's a friend who gets along with you who your who your chemistry is good uh, it's and 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 they and they know when to say something and when not to say something that's so important that's so important and you know sure you could have you could have caddies that can help you and you can have caddies that can hurt you yep and frankly I did most of my own work. And I really wanted somebody that I had just had good chemistry with, somebody that I got along. Now, other people, you know, I know a lot of people who won't even hit a golf shot with a caddy, not telling him where to hit it. And you know, One of the guys who I have a show with on SiriusXM, Pat Perez, he will not hit a shot unless his caddy is like, here's the shot. Well, but that, that, that's okay if, I, if that's what Pat does. And a lot of guys, kids grow up that way today. Mm-hmm. I'm, I don't really, I'm not really criticizing that. I'm saying that that's not my, my flavor. Right. Uh, what I, what I, to me, playing the game of golf and being able to figure out whether the ball is going to go downhill, uphill, break to the right, break to the left, where's the grain, what's the wind doing, those are the things to me that are make the, make the game of golf fun. Mm-hmm. Figuring them out yourself. Now, if you want to use your caddy as a backup to that, that's the way I use the caddy. A reinforcement. That's what I, in other words, I would walk by your own yardages and get, before we got yardage books and I'd get there and I'd get 110 yards. I said, Angelo, 
what do you got? He says, I got 110. I know that I'm not far off. I mean, I didn't add rather than subtract or, right. or vice versa. <laughs> Done and that already. that's what I use a caddy for. And do I think that it's a bad idea to have a caddy? No, I think caddies are great. I love caddies. I, I, think, I love having but I would. But to me, the fun of the game is figuring out the game yourself, not being dependent on somebody else. Jack Grout always taught me, he says, be responsible for your own golf game. And part of being responsible for your own golf game is being responsible all the way through the bag. And, and Bobby Jones, who I used to go down to his cabin every year at Augusta, and he came down, he, says, he, said, he said, Jack, he says, I was a good golfer when I was a young man, but I had my seven lean years, which were lean years for him was from age 14 to 21. <laughs> and, but he said, until I could get on a golf course, correct myself, figure out what I was doing, change it in the middle of a tournament, he says, that's when I became a golfer. So the more you rely on a caddy, the more dependent you are on somebody else and not responsible for your own golf game. So when so when Jones said he became a golfer, that's when he started winning everything. And so that's what Jack Grout taught me, to be responsible for myself. So that, and I, I said, all the years that I caddied, even though I had my kids caddying for me, who were great caddies. They're probably the best caddies I ever had, actually. Mm. Uh, you know, I never, I never, they never told me what club to pull out of the bag. Or what shot to hit. Or what shot to hit. You, they don't know what you're going to hit, how you're going to hit it, how you feel. And, and if you, somebody else puts something else in your mind, I think that makes it very difficult. To be 100% confident in the yeah. shot you're going That's to right. hit. Even if it was wrong. If I even had it wrong and hit the shot the best shot to my ability, I think I'd be closer than if I got confused and didn't know what shot to play and, and swung at it. And the only person that you would be able to blame would be yourself for that. And too. I don't want to blame somebody else. If I, if I make a mistake, it's my mistake. Jack, you're the best. We appreciate Thank your you, time. Man. And little do you know that you've now given me a motto to use on our podcast with our caddy here. Show up, keep up, and shut up. That, that's going to work for him now, that's right? Gonna, and make sure you make, use that with milkshakes, too. Yes, Michael. That's, what I'll, that's how I can shut up. I'll just be nice cream up and talk. And it shakes up. <laughs> shakes up. Jack, thank you so is much. There any, is, My pleasure. Man, this was fantastic. You don't have anything on your bucket list, do you? No, just just, just here to talk with you, Michael. Oh, man. See? That's what there I'm talking go. about. Jack Nicholas, the greatest of all time, period. You know what my favorite part of the Jack conversation was, and we'll post pictures on our Instagram, but just do the yep. social media now at Maddie and Caddy, Maddie, M-A-T-T-Y, the word and Caddy, C-A-D-D-I-E, both Twitter and uh, Instagram. Instagram. We'll post pictures from our interviews, et cetera. But the one thing that I loved about the Jack conversation, just because of the greatness that you're in, but then he held serve with us. He held it down for 31 minutes after the interview. <laughs> and you had a train to catch. I had to catch a train. Yeah. And I had and, to drive you. And you and I are, and you had to do a hit for SVP. Yep. And we're sitting there looking at each other like, I'm not gotta, leaving. I've got to go. You've got, I ain't we leaving. Can't leave. You leaving? I'm not leaving. That's, that's how, for me personally, that's how I know, like, I can call Jack Nicholas my friend is because even when we're not working and we're not doing the job of mm. recording stuff, we still just stand around talking. And the fact now to know that he's comfortable enough to s- want to hang out with us afterwards and tell stories and just start needling and talking back and forth. It was, it was, it still gives me goosebumps. And I told you only, there's only one guy that I get butterflies 
when I got to like yeah, talk Mike to interviews. You were patient. I was, the yeah, I was pacey and stuff. But then he puts me in such ease because once we start needling each other and, and my favorite part was talking about the yardage book stuff and then the caddy stuff. Oh, I'm going to print a t-shirt that says show up, keep up, shut up. <laughs> That's the official motto of the podcast. Show up, keep up. As shut a caddy, up. I will set it on fire while you're wearing it. No, you, you won't. Yes, I will. You need to just adhere to that standard <laughs> in perpetuity. Uh, so thank, our thanks to Scott Tolley and Jack Nicholas uh, for making time for us at the USO, but it was, it was really a, uh, a bucket list moment. There is now a uh, tour going on, I believe, outside our studio. I know. And I feel like a goldfish. We and be- uh, it's either rookie camp or a tour. And now Michael is running around like a pterodactyl, and there people are laughing at <laughs> it's him. It's like a goldfish. We're we like, are in the in the middle of a, a bowl. fish bowl. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so our thanks to Jack Scott Tully and his entire staff for bringing Jack out there. Uh, looking back, we're going to be on like unlike you know we'll, we're we're not going to break any rules like Phil Mickelson on this year podcast. Nope. And looking back at the SVP podcast, the SVP round, looking back at that scorecard, I thought we scored pretty well. Yes. But we did find one spot where we may have made a mistake. Where Maddie and the caddy bogeyed. So we bogeyed the story on how Stevie Williams saved you a two-stroke penalty at the U.S. Open in Shinnecock in 2004. I've had more people reach out about that story. So that's where we (laughs) bogeyed. So please make the bogey a par and tell the story how Stevie, Tiger's caddy at the time, saved you two strokes. So I let everyone know that I was caddying for Daniel Chopra. We get paired with Tiger on Saturday. And the course is burnt out. And it's the first hole is playing downwind and is, is reachable. So both Daniel and Tiger hit driver. They both end up in the front left green side bunker. Tiger plays the bunker shot first. Me, all excited, I'm going to help out. So I'm going to grab the rake and jump down in the bunker and clean, fix Tiger stuff. You know what I mean? I'll, I'll rake Tiger's marks. At the time, that would have been a two-stroke penalty because Daniel hadn't played his shot yet. Mm. It's no longer a penalty. But then it was. Then it was. Stevie is leaning on the rake. The rake the the bottom part of the rake that you actually do the raking with is on the ground and he's leaning on the handle with his left hand and i go to grab the rake out of his hand and it doesn't move and he's not even looking at me he's just looking kind of out into the sky <laughs> over there and i <clears throat> and he would let go and he's he would, a strong dude he wouldn't let go now you have to understand that he didn't know me from adam i was just some idiot rookie caddy that he had never been paired with before, who's going to go try and get a two-stroke penalty. And because the caddy brethren is so small, he wouldn't let me do it on a stage that big. And he didn't have to do that. He could have easily let go of that rake and was like, knock yourself out, stupid. Here you go, two strokes. Now we're beating you. But he j- he wouldn't do it. And I understand you recounted the story with him. <laughs> yeah. So just a couple years ago at the tour championship, he's caddying for Adam Scott. And I'm like, you know what? I'm going to get him on camera because I've never, I've never publicly thanked him for doing that for me. Set the camera up. Stevie, hey, can I jam? Yeah, of course. Mike comes over and I was like, listen, you did something for me. You didn't have to do at the 2004. And I tell him the whole story and I'm getting like trying not to get choked up because it's like emotional because man, just. You didn't have to do that. It was the brethren of caddies and what this means. And thank you so much for the whole. And he looks at me and he goes, "Oh, cool, man. I don't, I don't remember. I don't even." Something. <laughs> and I was just like, oh, "I'm gonna." <sighs> that was your moment. Like you were in yeah. love, and he was in like. 
He was that wasn't he even care. in like. Yeah. He wasn't even like, look at what I brought you to something so wonderful and beautiful. And he was like, hey, do you like cars? Mm. <laughs> no, what? <laughs> so look, we'll be the. We'll but be he the, did laugh about it, and it was great. We'll and be the Steve first awesome. to admit our mistakes in the podcast in terms of bogeys. What and we birdies. do. So you uh, hit us up via social media. Speaking of uh, social media, at Maddie and Caddy on Twitter, we put it out there. Hashtag for the podcast. F O R E golf. So yeah, we got. Creative and cute there. <laughs> you can ask us a question. We'll pick one and answer it this week. Our question this week comes in from BJ Lisko. He wants to know, using the hashtag for the podcast, why does it seem like every so often the USGA tries to make the U.S. Open about themselves and not about the golfers? It's not every so often. Every year it's <laughs> something. Every yep. year it's something. And that's just, that's, it's a shame. It's almost as if they want to prove they're overlords of golf. Yeah, and then when someone shows them up, Phil Mickelson, instead of people going, hey, see, stop trying to make it about you or someone like Phil's going to do what he did. No, too many people just go, how dare Phil? Like even what Stephen A. was just saying earlier. I I love Stephen A. to death, but to say that it's a meritocracy, this is a dude that covers basketball. So LeBron... Why are you saying this now? Why don't you say it to his face? Because he was getting ready to leave. Say it to his face next time. I will say it to it. Next time I'm on the show, I will. But when he, that, and I love what he was saying and I understand it. But to say it's strictly a meritocracy is to forget that LeBron gets calls that other players don't get. That's true. You, there was a whole book called The Jordan Rules that came out about how Michael Jordan got Totally treated different than anybody else on the Chicago Bulls. So, yes, in theory, a meritocracy is fantastic. But is it a reality? No, it's not. There are superstars in every sport, and those superstars get treated different than the regular old Joes that no one's ever heard about. And is that okay? Well, whether it is or not, it is going to happen. It's been a much better moment if you said it to him. Now you got to say it when he's not here. It's been a bunch because then you would have been arguing with him right now. Exactly. So now, now you're tough. No, you're tw- you you are a microphones version of Twitter tough guy. Right <laughs> See, <now. laughs> this is messed up. All I was thinking was, this is awesome. Stephen A came yeah, in to chat good. with us yeah, for yeah, a second, yeah. but guess what? We still ain't talked to Jack Nicholas yet. We ain't done. We gotta. We might want to take some time for the Nicholas thing. So I'm not gonna get into. Oh, it. I see what you're saying. Like you were trying to save time, like actual. Minutes and seconds for the podcast, rather than just man up and say, you know what, this could be a moment for the podcast. The Nicholas was the moment, man. That's the point. The Nicholas was the moment, not the Stephen A. Smith. Guess what we can do? What, Mister? You know why, man? I'm saying nothing. You know what we can do? Stephen A.'s in the building. Now we're gonna have next time we come up here. No, we can have a podcast with Stephen A. On you know what we will. So there you go. And And guess what I'm gonna say? What I'm gonna say everything I say right now to his face. He'll forget that like Stevie Williams (laughs) forgot about saving you two strokes. Guess what we have? We got a cool producer that's recording what we're doing right now. Stephen A. Smith does 30 hours of TV and radio a day. He's not gonna remember this conversation with this little podcast. You think he's not gonna remember calling me Abby? Dear Abby. Yeah. I thank, know he's he won't remember that. Thank you for the listen on the Jack Nicholas round. Caddy, who do we have next week? Mm. A guy who a guy who I consider someone like my big brother, but a guy who in the entertainment industry is a titan when especially when it comes to comedy, 
but who also grew up with a love of golf that few other people have. Avid golfer. They're avid golfer. And who um may say, but has told me and has said publicly on many occasions that if he and I would have known each other when we were younger, that we would be the the next Trevino duo. We'd be the next dynamic duo. We've teased it long enough. Who is it? George Lopez. Can't wait. I can't wait either. I can't wait to talk to George Lopez. We had lunch with him, incidentally, in West Palm. You and I did when we were first talking about this podcast. Yeah. So he's, I, I can't wait. You, you've you got a great relationship with him. I met him for the first time then. Can't wait to sit and talk golf, life, and everything in between with him. Uh, our thanks to you, the beautiful listener, for the download. Please subscribe. Give us comments. Give us five stars. Apple Podcasts, Maddie and the Caddy, the ESPN app. Hit us up on social media at Maddie and Caddy. If you love the podcast, tell everybody. If you hate the podcast, keep your mouth shut. Let people find out for themselves. (laughs) Don't say nothing. Let them find out for themselves. Maddie and Caddy (laughs) on Instagram. Maddie and Caddy on Twitter. We appreciate all of the feedback from episode one. I look forward to next week. I know. With with George. There's going to be a lot of beeping out that way. A lot of bleeps. That's okay. That's fine. Yeah. You know what? Maybe we'll let mom sit in because then he'll make him. Nah, he won't. Nah, we want him on Nah, we want him. For the caddy, I'm Maddie. We appreciate the support, the download, and the listen. Have a great week. Hit him straight, and we'll talk to you next week. Thanks for listening to Maddie and the Caddy. Check out more great ESPN podcasts in the ESPN app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Maddie and the Caddy.